Ocean Bites Out Loud is a podcast that brings the latest news in ocean science straight to you. Our goal is to summarize the most recent scientific articles for your listening pleasure, and to talk to up-and-coming ocean scientists who have new and interesting ideas to share with the world. We hope you enjoy and learn a little something along the way. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to our show. And today we have with us another super awesome scientist all the way from Israel. For our listeners, can you please tell us your name and your preferred pronouns? Hi, so my name is Alyssa Petrozic, and I go by she, her. Awesome. Thank you. So what are you currently researching? So currently I'm doing my PhD in Israel and my research is focused on sea level changes, specifically as I'm in Israel. I'm looking at the Mediterranean coast here and I'm looking at geological indicators of past sea levels from the Holocene epoch. So within the last 11,600 years. Wow, that sounds really cool and also really complicated. So can you tell me a little bit more about these geologic indicators? What exactly are you looking for? So there are several different indicators of uh, sea levels. Um, They usually fall within broadly the categories geological, biological, and archaeological. So in Israel in particular, a lot of the studies are based only on archaeological indicators. And these would be like a harbor key or something that's directly related to sea level at the time it's built. But they're a bit unreliable. So what we're trying to do is look for something that's a bit more sound. So we're looking for the geological indicators. And these will be, if you've ever been to like a rocky beach, they're common. I don't know if you've been in the U.S. I can't really think of a place where they exist, but um, Bermuda has them. And they're like at the same latitude uh, as like Greece, Italy. They're these like notches that form at sea level. And they're actually carved into the rock. along the current coastline. So we're looking for those in ancient uh, Aeolianite ridges that are offshore and currently submerged. So these would be the past sand dunes that became solidified, sea level markers formed, and sea sea level rose, and then they stay in the records. That sounds so cool. So in order to study these, how are you getting out to sea? Are you going on a small boat? Are you taking research cruises? Can you tell us a little bit more about the process? So I'm doing the grad student approach. So small boat it is. Research cruises are also an option, but um, personally, I don't have access to that. Uh, So we're doing some surveys along the current coastline and in shallow water that we can actually swim to to really like identify these features and have a sound like understanding of what we're supposed to be looking for. And then we're taking a small boat further offshore and diving deeper. That sounds very exciting. I love diving myself, and I can't imagine how awesome it must be to do it for grad school work. Is it everything that you imagined it would be? Oh, God, yeah. So this was several years in the making. Um, I moved here in 2016, and I wanted to do a tech diving class then. So I just completed it in March, so it's been really exciting. It's been something I was looking forward to for a long time. So it's really awesome to be able to do it for work. That's so cool. I'm like a little bit jealous if I'm being honest. (laughs) (laughs) So can you share a fun fact with us about your work? What's something that 
maybe it was unexpected or you were like, no way, this is the coolest thing ever that you found while you were doing your work? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, a lot of the stuff here at Israel, so a lot of it, there's archaeology everywhere, a lot of man-made structures. And in like all the shallow water and like near coastal surveys, we were looking for these notches and we're just walking amongst all the archaeology. And it's like a real task to differentiate between, okay, this was man-made. This is like something that they cut to like uh, use the stones for building materials versus, okay, this is natural. So it's been really a tough time and really interesting endeavor to try and differentiate between what's like actually several thousand years old and what's archaeological, uh, what's geological. The entire project sounds very cool in and of itself. So I can imagine from day to day, it's just very exciting. <laughs> yeah, you never really know what you're going to see. It's, it's really interesting. Tell me a little bit more about how you ended up here. How did you end up learning about this institution or getting interested in this project? So um, I did my undergrad at the University of Rhode Island. And as soon as I graduated, I joined one of the professors from URI on a field school she ran in Israel in underwater archaeology. I didn't really have any plans for grad school. I was going to take the year and figure out everything out. But I moved, I came here literally as soon as I graduated, like the next day was on the flight and I came to Israel and I loved it. I was a three-week program and I met all these amazing people and who would become my master's advisor happened to be joining us one of the days. So I got to talk to her and we were introduced, like we were introduced and she was really selling me on how great everything is here, how everything's so like research oriented and really like cutting edge and up and coming. And she asked me to come do a master's. So I came. It's a very last minute decision, but here I am six years later. <laughs> it sounds like it worked out for you, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was just I didn't plan it, but I guess that's the best time sometimes. Yeah. And that's sometimes where research takes us. Like a lot of the time people have a really specific passion, then they go for that. Other times, you know, you don't recognize your passion until you're there actually doing it. Yeah, it was very much one of those where I'm like, wow, this is not what I envisioned at all. It's great. Let's dive into it. Do you have any recommendations for students who are in their undergrad now and thinking about maybe doing a master's program or a PhD program abroad? Um, That is a good question. So I would definitely say look at both the actual program actually and the advisors and make sure all the academics align with what you like have in mind for your career moving forward and someone you love to work with but also look at the country itself because like if you're moving abroad it's full you're moving abroad you're not near anything you're familiar with it's very very different so make sure that the country is something like you're really interested in you want to learn more about the culture and like you really like the area so I think it's a bit of both because like you never really get a break one way or the other. So just make sure it's something that you're going to love. Yeah, that's great advice. I think a lot of the people that we've interviewed so far have been uh, Canadian students. I'm from the U.S. and I actually just moved to Canada a year ago. So I totally agree with you that it is really important to look at the country and make sure you're going to like it because I love this part of Canada. But I don't know if I had moved to a different part of Canada, if I would still be as happy. Mm -hmm. Yes. Same thing here. Like, I know for me personally, I couldn't move away from the beach. So that was like, I have to, no matter where I go, need to be right on the coast. And this checks off the box. So 
it worked out. Okay. So what motivates you to do research and be involved in science? So I like the whole public outreach part of it, actually. Um, I think especially in like geosciences, I'm looking at sea level rise. It's something that's so relevant, especially since so many coastal communities all around the world are experiencing issues with sea level rise. So I really like the fact that what I'm doing matters and has a direct impact on the lives of potentially different communities. And I want to share it with them so they have an idea of like, okay, this is what we're looking at. This could maybe help and help deal with them mitigating different issues that result from being on the coast. Yeah, that's awesome. And I mean, it's, as you said, it's becoming more and more important as we are feeling the effects of climate change all over. So that's that's great. And hopefully you'll come up with some things that, you know, can be implemented and are, are helpful to people. I'm sure there's already some things that are going on. You don't have to share if you don't want to. <laughs> but it's it's great that that's what you have for your goal in mind. Yeah, I mean, I've been fortunate to take uh, internship uh, with the U.S. Geological Survey. So from there, it's a different aspect of just I've done, obviously, academia for however many years. Um, so it was nice to see more the governmental side of it. And the project we're working on specifically is dealing with public outreach. And we're making these story maps documenting like bluff erosion along the state parks and sometimes in like people's backyards, like in a way that the general public can understand and know what they're being faced with. So I think it's really great. Yeah, it is super important. So was there an experience that sparked your interest in the ocean or something that made you be like, wow, the ocean, I need to be here forever? Uh, no, it was actually not a single experience. I grew up in Westport, so in Massachusetts, so I, I grew up on the water. So it was just my entire life was centered around going to the beach, going out on the river. Everything was just marine, coastal. So it was just part of what I everything I knew and loved. So I wanted to stick with it. When you see it every day, it just becomes something important to you, right? Oh, God, yeah. I can't imagine ever leaving it. Like, it just feels like, okay, I'm a little claustrophobic and like the desert or something. Like, where's the water? It's a little weird. <laughs> Great. And it seems like your interest and your love of the ocean has obviously followed you into research and is a continuing motivator for what you're doing now. Yeah, I tried to, it made me happy. So I tried to stick with it. And now my whole life revolves around it. It's perfect. So what does a normal day look like for you? Is it a mix of things or do you have a set routine? So no set routine. Um, the graduate program here is a bit different than it is uh, from what I've heard, at least from the U.S. Um, so it's a you have to have a master's by the time you get in and it's a three to four year Ph.D. Um, there is no class requirement. Um, it will depends on the specific program, but for me in particular, I had to do like two classes that my advisor chose. So that's long gone and everything else is really just about the research. So my typical day is dealing with looking at whether or not the sea is actually good. And if it is, you can go out and do some surveys and some field work in the morning and then come back and you have to deal with documenting and organizing everything from um, the morning. And if the sea's bad, then it's usual literature review is background research and writing up the results. So a lot of a lot of desk work if it's not field work, but nothing really set in stone organized. 
That's fair enough. Yeah. And that's a lot of times just how grad school is, you know, it's a mix of different things. You have your contingency plans and you're going back and forth, deciding which one to do for the day. They've learned to be very flexible in this field. Very true. (laughs) So I'm wondering a little bit more about how you analyze your data, if you can, can talk a little bit about that. So once you get the data from the surveys, how are you like going through and looking for the markers or what exactly are you doing? So uh, obviously we started with like a background literature review of what people have done elsewhere, what these features actually look like in these different like scenarios. A lot of work's been done, as I said, in Greece and Italy. So those have been like a foundational part of the initial stages. Then uh, the coastline's big. So there's ridges uh, all along the coastline. I think it's like 170 kilometers or something. It's a lot of area to cover. So we look at aerial photography and um, LIDAR data to try and pinpoint, okay, this looks like a good spot to go and actually ground truth. So we pick out in the images something that looks like it could be a notch. Or we also look for uh, these potholes. If they're like, they're tide pools, basically. Um, because they're also used as sea level indicators. So we look for what seems like it could be a good area that would possibly have these features. And then we actually go in person and see if we can identify them. Um, bit hit, hit or miss sometimes, but for the most part, we've lucked out. So I'll take it. And then once we get there, we just document the features, measure them, GPS locations, water depths, and map it all out afterwards and see if we can try to find any spatial trend or pattern that could help say something a bit more about coastline position and sea level change. That was just like for the nerd in me, I was like, hmm, I wonder how this works. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of like, I don't know. It's a lot of preparation and then crossing fingers and hoping it pays off. (laughs) Yeah. And that's honestly sometimes how science is like with my project. Sometimes I didn't know if I would find the species that I was looking for when I went to a specific place. Sometimes I did, sometimes I didn't. So moving on a little bit, what kind of obstacles did you face while pursuing your research or along your journey somewhere? So besides all the bureaucracy of having to move abroad, set up a new bank account, find a phone, a visa, all that I'll put into a different category because obviously if that doesn't work out, then none of the research or schooling actually happens. Um, there was issues with the tech class before, um, the, so I'm looking at up to 40 meters water depth, which you can get to in recreational diving, but you don't have very long bottom time. So I had to find the funds and actually go take the technical diving classes in order to make sure that the research could happen. And then there's the issues of, okay, see, is it okay? Is it not okay? And then we have to organize the boat and all the dive gear and make sure we have all the permissions from the universities and everyone. So it's just been a lot of bureaucracy. Yeah. And the logistics always take a lot longer than you think they'll take. Oh, God, yes. It's like most of it. I feel like the actual field work is like 10% of the time. And that's like the fun part when you're just there for the 10%, you're doing it. You've got the research, you've got the data, and you're in the field. But the setup, that was my least favorite part as well. Oh, God, yeah. Like, thank God the 10% field work is like the best part. It it really compensates for the, the rest of it, at least. It really does. Yeah. So what's something you would recommend for somebody who's thinking about doing field work for 
their graduate degree. Do you have any recommendations for them starting out? Like how would you recommend going back in time if you could have handling logistics or doing things differently? Um, I think that one of the most important things to know when you're doing a dissertation based on field work is that you have to be flexible. The weather can change, a storm can come in. Um, even if the storm clears and the sea's flat, you might not necessarily have good visibility, which doesn't work out. So it's really all up in the air. It's not like it's something where it's like, okay, I know I have this amount of lab work. It'll take me exactly this many days and everything's really set in stone. You can plan everything out. It's just so unpredictable that you have to have that mindset going in. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you because, you know, stuff happens in the field and you never really know some, your safety obviously takes priority and you want to be safe and you want your team to be safe. So in light of those things, flexibility is a very good skill to have. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'd say that's like probably one of the best skills I've gotten throughout my entire grad school was had to be flexible. So along those same lines, what's something that you wish you had known before getting into grad school in general? I guess I wish that I had known beforehand that there's a lot more that goes into being a graduate student and setting yourself up for your future career than just having your head in the books and writing an article. That's it. Like you have to do all these conference presentations and there's a huge part of it that's obviously networking. Like I would imagine in any fields, that's probably one of the bigger (laughs) parts of moving forward and like different internships and looking for all these different opportunities. And it's just, there's a lot more that goes into being a graduate student than I had originally thought. I think you're you're absolutely right because a lot of the time when people outside of grad school see grad students, all we see is just like, oh yeah, you're publishing some papers and you're doing research and that's it. But I don't think a lot of people talk about the rest of the work that goes on and the rest of the things that grad students are actually doing. So it's a bit of a surprise sometimes when when you get there and you realize, oh my gosh, I have all these other things I have to do. <laughs> It can definitely catch you by surprise at first if you didn't realize it. Like, oh my God, I have to wear 10 different hats at once. And you really have to learn how to time manage and organize everything. Yeah, two really good skills to have for sure. Yes. Is there anything else that you wanted to highlight or share with us or any parting words of wisdom that you would like to say for our listeners out there? Parting words of wisdom about, I guess, grad school is even if it seems like it's a negative experience or you're having a hard time just everything you can learn from like if I hadn't gone through some of the struggles I had in grad school it's like oh my god I'm not going to get past this I wouldn't have gotten to where I am today and it really everything it all builds up and works out together and in the end everything ends up great yeah thank you for those words of wisdom I I definitely agree with you it it is all worth it in the end and no matter what, you'll, you know, you'll get there somehow. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you for being here with us today. I really enjoyed talking with you. And we wish you the best in your future career and research. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was great.